Well, I also want to share a word of welcome with you today to First Methodist Mansfield. If you are brand new here, thanks for being our guest. Uh, my name is David. I serve as a senior pastor here. It's a joy to be able to share uh, with each of you today. So thanks, uh, thanks for being here today. As you leave worship, uh, there's something special that I want to encourage you to pick up uh, on your way out. Uh, it is these stacks of prayer cards. Uh, we do these each and every year at the beginning of the school year. Uh, stacks of 15 prayer cards. Uh, and on each of these cards is the name of someone who works in either the Mansfield School District, Midlothian, or Kennedale. So there's over 6,000 of these cards. Uh, and here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to pick up a stack, uh, add the appropriate postage, say a prayer for the teacher or administrator or employee uh, on, on that card, and just drop that in the mail. Uh, this is one of the ways that, that we seek to bless our community. And, and I want you to know that while this seems like a really simple act, uh, it makes a really big difference in the lives of those who are pouring into the lives uh, of our kids. Uh, several years ago, uh, at the end of the year party for my kindergartner, uh, I was sitting there in the room and the teacher was making a couple presentations and so we're all kind of spread out and I, I just happened to be sitting by her desk. End of the year, looked up on that uh, little cork board next to, her, next to her desk and there in the middle was one of the cards uh, that she got from one of you. Uh, a card that simply said, we love you, we care about you, thank you for investing in our kids. Uh, she kept that all year long, right there right by her desk, uh, a, a blessing to her. But as a dad, to see that and to know that someone was praying for my child's teacher, uh, what a blessing that was as well. So be sure and pick these up uh, on your way out uh, today. Again, they're at all the exits uh, from all of our worship spaces. Uh, and speaking of prayer, uh, that's what we're talking about in this series. Uh, if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to John chapter 10. Uh, if you didn't bring your Bible with you, you can find John chapter 10 on page uh, 1666 on the blue Bibles that we have available in all of our worship spaces. Spaces. Uh, we have talked about that this series is about addressing the mystery and some of the common misunderstandings that we have about the practice of prayer. And the goal that we have is for everyone who is a part of this series, uh, that in six weeks when we come to the end of this series, you will find yourself feeling more confident and more capable talking with God. That's our ambition and that's our goal as we move through this series, uh, focusing on prayer, uh, again, the misunderstandings, uh, the mystery, how we can grow and feel more confident and more capable uh, in this practice in our life. And I want to begin today uh, with this quote that maybe you've heard before from uh, the late Zig Ziglar, if you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. Now, if you've never heard that before, you may be thinking to yourself, wow, I just found something else that I'm really good at. I mean, I hit it all the time. If you aim at nothing, you will hit it every single time. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at the aim of prayer, the purpose of prayer, the goal that we have in prayer. What is it meant to do? What's the purpose of it in our life? Because if we don't know what we're aiming at, then we'll hit it every time. We won't exactly know how this practice is supposed to operate in our life. So if you're a part of one of the small groups or classes that is going through this series and studying the same emphasis, last week I shared this quote with you or this definition with you, that prayer is God's way of building a relationship with you. 
Uh, I wanted us to center around that idea that prayer is God's way of building a relationship and, and really focusing in on this word relationship, that it's about cultivating and nurturing a relationship. And as you hear that, I I hope that first you are encouraged. I hope you're encouraged because part of what that means is, uh, what we talked about last week, it means that prayer is not your act in God's talent show. In other words, you don't have to say the right words in just the right order at just the right time. You got to say it with the right voice. You got to sound like James Earl Jones or Charlton Heston. You know, you got to have all these things right in order for God to listen to your prayers. That's how we often think about it. Prayer is a transaction. Like we got to do all this stuff right for God so that he will do what we want him to do for us. That's not what prayer is. Nothing wrong with sharing with God our hearts and what we're worried about, our needs, our concerns. But prayer is fundamentally about a relationship. And I hope you find that encouraging. I hope you find that affirming because it, it, it means that, that's what it's all about. It's about deepening and nurturing a relationship, not about performance. Uh, saying the right words at just the right time and in just the right way. It's about nurturing a relationship. But as you think about that word relationship, here's what I, uh, I bet you also recognize, that relationships, while they're wonderful, they're also complicated. They're also incredibly confusing. They're very difficult. They take time. They are not the easiest thing in the world uh, to grow. Relationships are hard and relationships are complicated. Uh, Some of you know that we have a nine-year-old son and a 13-year-old daughter in our house. And our small group is made up of couples who are all kind of in that same life stage where our kids are about the same age. Some have three kids, some have two kids, but they're all kind of in that vicinity. Which means that when we get together and we start talking about how our week was, we talk about how our kids' weeks were. I mean, we don't talk about us, we talk about the kids. We go you know, one, you know, go one at a time through each kid, talk about all the things that are going on in their life, uh, uh, how they're doing in school, other activities that they're doing. And, and as our kids have grown, those conversations have changed. I mean, the conversations, uh, uh, especially for those who are getting up in the 13, 14, 15-year-old range, and, and you're thinking about what parents care about and what care, parents worry about and what keeps them up at night and what they want to share with others and invite them to pray about. I mean, it changes a little bit, right? You know what I'm going with this? You understand what I'm talking about? Like as they get older, they start building a different kind of relationship. I mean, it's more than just like who's sitting at the lunch table with you. It's like, who are you like interested in? And this gets really complicated. It gets complicated for them. You know that, right? I mean, you, you may remember that, that stage in your own life. That's pretty complicated, right? But it also gets complicated for, for mom and dad and for all the other moms and dads who are joining in prayer and, 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 and bowing before the Lord saying, please, Lord, help these kids, right? Because it's confusing. Relationships are confusing. And so I, I want to look at that just to kind of illustrate this idea. This will hopefully also be like a public service announcement for you. Because here's what I did. If you're a parent and you have a kid in that category, what I did is I asked Pastor Lauren this week to do some research for me so that we could sort of understand how kids today do this whole relationship thing. Because it's a little bit different than how we may have done it when we were in that stage of life. So, so I want to just kind of show you this, that what they have to deal with as we think about the difficulty of relationships. Relationships start with talking. 
which sounds real. Okay, I get that. Duh. Yeah, it starts with talking. But here's where you would begin to get confused when you think about how relationships, you know, worked when you were going through that stage of life. During the talking phase, there are actually no words spoken between the two people. That, that nothing, nothing comes out of their mouths. It's, it's, so let me just, that's how, that's what they call it, but we're going to, we're just going to call it this. It's texting, okay? This is what happens at this phase. This is, we're just texting back and forth. We don't speak to one another. That's like a no-no. You can't use, use your voice. You just, you know, you got to be quick with your fingers. So it starts with texting. And, and the next stage of those, those relationships today, this is, this is what the kids call it, okay? This is good research. Again, uh, Lauren did a survey. Uh, the next stage is dating. And here's what happens in dating. This is what Lauren, uh, again, very, very intensively researched. This is what she shared with me. In dating, this is the stage where you start going on dates. That's what it is, okay? So that's, okay, well, I remember that. That's what that's like, yeah. So it starts with texting. It moves to dating. And then we get to the third step in the relationship. Boyfriend, girlfriend. Now, those are words that are old. I mean, we've known those words forever, right? Like, it's probably what you called it when you were a kid. But, but here's what's totally new, okay? It's totally new. It's very difficult. Adds a whole new layer uh, uh, of a challenge to this, this whole idea of relationships is that now entering into this boyfriend-girlfriend thing is this whole notion of social media, okay? And how you, in your use of social media, define for your community that you are in the stage of boyfriend-girlfriend which is the moment when your profile status changes from single, sad, alone, never going to have anyone to in a relationship. And when that happens, it's like, yeah, you know, I mean, you are in a relationship. That's exciting. Everyone gets to comment. Oh, so sweet. You know, way to go. All that kind of stuff. But here's the problem. Once you're in a relationship, According to Facebook, if something happens to the relationship, you have to tell everyone. <laughs> you, you can't just like wait for, well, just a few people find out. No, you have to go back online and change it from in a relationship, happy, fulfilled, life is good, to oh no, I'm alone again. And everyone knows. It's a whole new layer of difficulty to this, this whole idea of building a relationship. But all along, all the way through this, what kids do today is the same things that, that we uh, maybe did at that stage of our life and we do with all of our relationships, which is the DTR. You know what the DTR stands for? That's when you define the relationship. That's when you, in a relationship, you, you, you get eye to eye and heart to heart and you say, what are we doing here? What's this about? Where's this going? What type of commitment do you have to me? What type of commitment do I have to you? You have to define the relationship. And so as you think about prayer as a way of building relationship, what I want to tell you is, what we're going to read tonight from John chapter 10 is the way that Jesus defines the relationship. It's the way Jesus speaks about what his life was about, what he was doing on God's behalf in his work in the world, the way in which God is seeking to build a relationship with you. Because it's really important that you define that, that you know what kind of relationship this is. 
Because if you don't know what kind of relationship this is, if you don't know what kind of relationship God is seeking to build with you, then prayer, this resource that is about building, that won't make sense to you either. So what kind of relationship is God trying to build with you? John chapter 10, uh, look at these uh, words with me, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says this, very truly I tell you Pharisees. Now Pharisees, you just think about it this way, Pharisees were the adversaries of Jesus. They were the ones who didn't really understand what Jesus was about, didn't really understand what he was seeking to do in the world. Jesus is addressing his adversaries and he's trying to explain things. Here's what I've come into the world to do. Very truly I tell you Pharisees. Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And Jesus used this figure of speech, verse 6, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So here are the adversaries of Jesus, and they, they don't understand what he's, what he's trying to do in the world. And Jesus is trying to explain it to him. And so what he does here is what he does throughout the Gospels. He tries to take something that's maybe hard to understand and make it a little bit easier. And, and he does that by talking about something that they would have understood, a picture, an illustration that would have connected with them. But according to verse 6, you hear that they're still not getting it. So Jesus goes from talking about a, a sheep and a pen where they are protected a shepherd who cares for them, who goes in by the gate, doesn't climb in over the wall. Those are, that's what the thieves and robbers do. The shepherd goes in and the sheep follow because the sheep know the shepherd's voice. Pharisees don't get it, so he changes the imagery. Look at verse 7. Therefore Jesus said again, I'll give this another shot. Very truly I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. So you didn't get the other thing about sheep and pen and what the shepherd is, so I'm the gate. I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So we start with sheep. And they're in a pen, they're in a place of protection, and there's a shepherd who cares for them, a shepherd who leads the sheep because they know his voice. Jesus changes and says, okay, here's what I want you to think. I'm the gate. And, and, and so I, I, as the gate, when the sheep come in, they come into my protection. And when the sheep go out, they go out into the pasture where they find the nutrients that they need for life. But, but I'm, I'm the passageway by which they go in and out of the place of safety and the place where they need to be nurtured. Uh, but of course, they still don't get it. And so what does Jesus do? He goes, back to the, he goes back to the first metaphor, the first imagery. Look at verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. <laughs> you didn't get the gate. You didn't get that first part. So listen, to this. I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. 
So when the hired hand sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. The wolf attacks the flock and and it scatters. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So again, this is Jesus using several different pictures to describe, to define the relationship. What is the relationship that God is seeking to build with you? What is Jesus seeking to do in your life in this relationship with God? Well, here, here's what Jesus says, that this is a relationship where we are known, where we are valued, and where we are loved. You are known, you are valued, and you are loved. And when you start here with this first word, known, here's where this gets rather confusing. This is true at every stage of the relationship. And so if you're here today and you think you're just talking, or or you maybe have taken that next step and you're sort of dating, you're sort of trying to figure this out, you want to learn more about God and what God might have to do with your life, you're just still kind of feeling this whole thing out, I want to know what this book is about and what this has to do with my life. At every stage of the relationship, You are already fully and wholly known by God. Everything that you're proud of. I mean, you think about the resume of your life, all those things that you would love to just pad that with. Oh, by the way, I also did this. And I'm also pretty good at this. And I have this skill and this talent. All those those things that you're proud of, all those things that others celebrate about you, God knows all of them. There's no process in this relationship by which God is discovering new things about you. He knows it all. All those things that you're proud of and all those things that you're not. All those things that you would rather just push off to the side, maybe no one will see that. All those things that you are not too excited about someone else knowing about you or hearing about you. Those, those times in your life where you've made mistakes. And maybe you made a mistake in the process of seeking to make a good decision. But in the process of making what you thought was a good decision, you not only introduce some hurt in your own life, but maybe you introduce some hurt in another person's life. All those successes that you celebrate and all of those those things that you regret in your life, it is all laid bare before God. God knows all of it. And there's a part of that that sounds a little scary, right? Because there's no other relationship in our life like that. And if you were to start a relationship with someone who maybe knew a little bit too much about you, like, that would freak you out, right? Like, that would not be a good sign. That would scare you. That, that might lead you to think that God's like this divine stalker, you know, who's just, he, he has been <laughs> figuring out all this stuff about. And maybe that's why in the illustrations that Jesus shares, there's more than one character in the story. It's not just a shepherd. 
He talks about hired hands, and he talks about thieves, and he talks about robbers. And when you think about this illustration, here's what I want you to, to connect with. The thieves and the robbers, they actually know some things about the sheep too. They don't know everything. But they know enough to be dangerous. In this picture of the relationship, Jesus doesn't share with us a picture where everything is rosy and it's all okay and it's just me and the shepherd and I'm always listening, I'm always following and it's all just green pastures and everything's just great and I'm, I'm, never, I'm never tempted to go astray. No, there's others who know some things about the sheep, but the others, though they know enough to be dangerous, they don't value the sheep and they don't love the sheep. So when a wolf comes, Jesus says, hey, they're gone because they don't value them and they don't love them like the good shepherd does. Where they seek to take, the shepherd seeks to give. Where they would try to find profit, the shepherd is the one who is always providing protection. Where they would seek destruction, the shepherd who knows the sheep, who values the sheep, and who loves the sheep, the shepherd is the one who is always seeking to lead the sheep to life. So how does that happen? In this relationship, how does the shepherd, how does the shepherd lead the sheep to life? Uh, let me show you this. Some of you have no idea what this is, especially if you're like under the age of 30. This is a map, okay? This is the original Google Maps. This is the non-talking version of Google Maps. This is a, and it's not like a historical map, okay? This isn't like the map of the Holy Land in the 1967. This is a map of Texas with roads on it. AAA right here. Thank you, AAA, okay? This, this is how you used to get around, okay? Uh, you just had to pull this out in the car, you know, while you're driving and figure out where you're going so you could get to your intended destination. Th this, was, this was how you found direction. And when you have a map, when you think about getting from point A to point B, if you're gonna engage with others about the map, you're, you're probably gonna say something like this. What is the best way to get from here to there? So for example, we're here in the DFW Metroplex and someone wants to get to Houston. And they say, what's the best way to get there? And you could say, well, you can, you know, you can take I-35 and go down through Waco and then you jump onto Highway 6 because you want to, you know, you want to cross the crown jewel of Texas. You want to go past uh, that school in College Station. Or you may say, no, I, you know, what you really want, you want to take, you want to take 45. You know, it's going to be a lot smoother. You're going to miss all that traffic on 35. There's always something going on on 35. You're just as likely to get stuck as get anywhere, you know. So, so don't go, don't go 35. You want to go, you want to go 45. There's different ways. And so what you do when you have a map is you ask for advice, right? You're like, hey, should I go this way? Should I go that way? And, and that's what we do. We give people advice. We say, well, it's, it's Wednesday and it's five o'clock. Do not come home on 360. Not a good idea. Go somewhere else because... You got a map. You can see there's, there's lots of different options of how you can go. But what do you do? I can't fold this. That's, that's the problem map. <laughs> what do you do when you're lost? What do you do when you're lost and you don't have a map? 
Well, if you're smart, this is the point where you say, I don't need advice anymore. And I don't need suggestions anymore. I need direction. I need direction. I need someone who will not only, not only show, uh, tell me which way to go, but someone who will say, hey, here's the way we can really make sure you get where you need to go. Just follow me, and I'll take you there. Just, just get up right behind me. Wherever I turn, you turn. Wherever I go, you go. Just follow me. And I will take you to the place that you need to go. You don't need a map. You don't, you, you don't need to just look for some advice and for some suggestions. What you need is someone who will lead you. Someone who is willing to go out ahead of you. And someone who invites you to follow them so that they can take you, show you, lead you to where you want to go. In other words, this relationship that we have with God, it's, it's, not, it's not what we imagine it to be. You know, if, if, if we go back here, again, who doesn't want a relationship where we are valued and we are loved? That sounds great, right? But then we come to this word known and we're like, whoa, I'm not so sure about that. And so we sort of have this idea that, okay, Jesus, um, thanks for coming into my life. And here are the places that I want to invite you to spend some time. Uh, if, there's, if you find any red spray paint on the floor, those are the areas that you're not supposed to be in, okay? So th- this, is, this is the relationship that I want, Jesus. I-, I want you to love me. I want you to value me. But I'm not really comfortable with this whole idea of being known. And, and, and when you live in that way, sometimes what you unintentionally may do in your life of prayers, you sort of negotiate with God. And in negotiating with God, you, you, you're, you're sort of like, okay, I need help again. So here's what I will do. I'm going to let you into a few more areas of my life because I really need you to help me a little bit. I need some advice. I need some suggestions. And the relationship isn't quite what we thought it was going to be. It's different. And that's important to know because if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. But it won't make sense, and prayer won't make sense, and the relationship won't make sense if you don't understand the relationship that God is seeking to develop with you. Think of it this way. We think of prayer as a way of inviting God into our life. But the God who knows us already is already present in every area of our lives. So what does that look like? Well, here's one of the things it looks like. We may find ourselves in prayer praying for these things. And these sound like good things, right? Like who wouldn't want these things? God, I want comfort. I need some clarity right now. And I just need you to calm things down because they're a little bit out of control right now. And I don't know if I can handle it. So I need some calm. And I need some clarity. And, And if... Along the way, you could provide some comfort. That would be great because that's what I, I want to invite you into my life so that you can give me these things. And in the relationship that God is developing with us, here's what God sometimes provides. God provides correction and God provides confusion 
And God provides challenge. God, I want comfort. No, you need correction. God, I want clarity. No, this is going to sound a little confusing. Because I, I, you don't have a map. And so what I'm going to tell you, where I'm seeking to lead you, it's not going to make sense. I know you're thinking, this doesn't look like the right turn. That's the way to go? Are you sure? Doesn't, that, what? It's confusion, not clarity. And in the midst of calm, sometimes how God responds is God says, no, 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 no. This is a time where you need to be challenged. And that's okay because I'm going to walk through this with you. Because again, I'm not the hired hand. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to take you down the road and say, sorry, I'm out. I'm done. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to lead you. I am the shepherd, the one who leads you to life. And so it doesn't matter if it's confusing. It doesn't matter if it's challenging. It doesn't matter if this is a time of correction because I'm not going to abandon you. Like the thief and the robber and the hired hand might. And perhaps for some, this is, this is why prayer is so confusing. Because you thought of it as a way of inviting God into your life to get what you think you need in your life. A way of seeking God for advice or suggestion and missing that what you really need in your life is direction. And following directions takes humility. It takes a willingness to listen and and a willingness when you find yourself in need of comfort, clarity, and, and a sense of calm to be willing to receive correction and sometimes confusion and sometimes challenge because you know it's going to be okay because he's a good shepherd and he won't leave you and he won't abandon you because he knows you and he values you, and he loves you. And this is how Jesus defines the relationship. So all that's to say this, all that is so that you might wrestle with this question. If this is how Jesus defines the relationship, if this is in fact the relationship that God is seeking to build with you, what kind of relationship are you seeking to build with God? Are you constantly seeking to invite him into your own life? Or are you instead asking God to pour his life into you? Saying, God, I want to follow you. And I'm open to whatever that means. Wherever you want me to go. When it makes sense and when it doesn't. When it is easy and when it's not. When when it is just so clear, oh, I get it, and when, I don't know, but I'm going to keep walking, because I'm never alone, and there is a shepherd who knows me, and values me, and loves me. That's the relationship that God is seeking to build with you. What kind of relationship are you seeking to build with God. Let's pray. Loving God, we give you thanks that you 
in Jesus have come to be for us a good shepherd. And Lord, I ask that you would lead us into really thinking about what that means for our life. That we, Lord, would not only be able to lean into this idea that we are known and valued and loved, but also, Lord, that part of what that means is that the answers may not make sense. The direction may not always be clear And when all we want is just calm, sometimes what you provide in response is a stirring in us to keep us focused on you and following you. And so in this, Lord, help us. We we again pray that you would help us be better, more confident talking with you and building the right kind of relationship with you. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.